Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministry. Great to be with you on this Thursday morning. We are broadcasting live from Sarasota, Arkansas. We're having a wonderful time with our friends, celebrating our 29th anniversary. And we have been enjoying thoroughly these last couple of days that we've had to spend in the Sunshine State. It's very interesting. There's a lot going on here. And uh, we're excited about a number of different things that are happening But what I am most thrilled about today is getting into the book of Revelation with you today because it's one of the end-time prophecies that have been reserved and preserved until the generation to whom the prophecy will come arrives. Let me say that in a different way, and I'm going to really ask you to do something today just so that you and I can communicate And I can sense that there is a willingness in your heart to draw out this teaching. And, of course, there are tens of thousands of instructors out there. There's no doubt about that. And there are many teachings. But I'm going to ask you to flow with me into the book of Revelation. And some of you have already been with us as we have taught this book. And... Some of it may sound like a repeat, but if you will take these very brief, simple notes and then allow for us to move in the direction, because one of the things that we're going to discuss today that we've never discussed before is why do so many Bible prophecy teachers say 
that by the time you get to Revelation chapter 4, the church does not exist in the book of Revelation. All right, that's, that's a very common theme among people who teach the pre-tribulational rapture, and I want to talk about it today. And I just want to do a little investigative reporting, if you will. And so let me get directly into one of the things that I think are most important for the time that we're in right now, and that is simply this, that the book of Revelation is a prophecy, okay? And I want you to write that down. Just say the book of Revelation Bible study Point number one, the book of Revelation is a prophecy. And I'm going to do one thing here real quick because I think it's important that I have these notes with me. So I'm going to go with the online concordance. Let's see if they have it for us. All right. I don't like, I like my favorite one here. And we just ran out of time getting prepared. I apologize for that. So let's go here. All right. So um, I want that one. Do I want that one? I think I do. I think I do. I'm going to say no thanks right now uh, with the online concordance. All right, so here we go. I want to start with this word of prophecy, P-R-O-P-A-G-C-Y, and we're just going to pick it up from there. We're going to go all the way to the book of Revelation, and then we're going to begin. So give you plenty of time to get your notes together as well, and here's where I wanted to begin with this. So Point number one, book of Revelation, it's a prophecy. Now, what is our assignment? Our assignment on this radio broadcast, we've got two hours today to to go through this, so I hope you're open to a really cool Bible study, but it's always with the intended purpose of looking through this biblical lens at the signs of the times and giving interpretation to what we see, okay? And it's really important the Holy Spirit guides us because without the Holy Spirit interpreting things, we can get off into our own vain imagination. So we always let the word of God speak for itself, and we're going to do that today. So point number one, Revelation Bible study number one, the book of Revelation is a prophecy. Okay, write that down on your piece of paper. Uh, Revelation is a prophecy. And the way that we look at that is by going to Revelation 1-3. So I'm going to bounce around for a moment just to bring some points. Revelation 1-3 says, Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy. All right, there we have a prophecy. And I'm going to get into the definition of that in just a moment. So blessed is he that reads and they that hear. So I'm reading, you're hearing, there's a blessing, the words of this prophecy known as the book of Revelation, and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Okay, that's really important language. We're going to break it down every bit of it. First thing I wanted you to see is that the book of Revelation is a prophecy, but it says it five times. Revelation 1-3 is one of the times. Let me read out of my Bible, and you might want to put these verses down there for sure, because in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of this book of Revelation, we read in Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. Okay, so we have Revelation 1-3. It's a prophecy. Revelation 22-7 says, Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So again, 
chapter 1 said, blessed are those who keep it. Now there's another blessing for those who keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. That's twice it's been mentioned about a prophecy. So now let's look at verse 10, Revelation 22:10. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. We read that in chapter 1, verse 3. The time is at hand, verses 3 and 4, right? So again, verse 10, he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So, so far, we have Revelation 1-3, Revelation 22-7, Revelation 22-10. So now we're going to go to verse 18, and Revelation 22-18 says it this way. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. All right? If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. So add to your list Revelation 22.18. But now Revelation 22.19 says... And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of this prophecy, wow, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So right now, Revelation Bible study, point number one, the book of Revelation is a prophecy. The five verses are Revelation 1-3, Revelation 22, 7, 10, 18, and 19. Five verses. Let the word of God be confirmed by itself, right? So we do have a prophecy. And what does the word prophecy actually mean? The word is in the Greek, okay? It's the prophetia. That's all it means, says, okay, as far as definitions are concerned or the sound of a word, prophetia. And what it means, and I'm going to go through the, the, the depth of the definition Number one, it is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration. So the book of Revelation is a divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. So the book of Revelation is a declaration of the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted, or revealing things hidden, especially by foretelling future events. So the book of Revelation is a condemnation against the wicked. It's a comfort of the afflicted righteous. It is an unveiling of hidden things, and it is also a foretelling of future events. That's what prophecy is. So the book of Revelation is a foretelling of future events that is designed to comfort the righteous and warn the wicked, there's no doubt about that. But going a little deeper into the definition, it speaks of the prediction of events relating to Christ's kingdom and its speedy triumph, together with the consolations and admonitions pertaining to it. It is the spirit of prophecy, the divine mind to which the prophetic faculty is due. It also goes into the endowment and speech of the Christian teachers called prophets. And then it gets into the gifts and utterances of these prophets, especially 
of the predictions of the works of which set apart to teach the gospel will accomplish for the kingdom of Christ. So that's a little bit of definition. And then if you go right directly to the word, it simply means a prediction. That's it. A prediction. But this prediction, because it's divinely uttered, this prophecy that we're studying, and that's what the book of Revelation is. It's a, it's a prophecy. It's a foretelling. It's an unveiling. It's designed to comfort the elect and to warn the wicked, okay? And it foretells us what will be. So the question then remains, well, uh, you know, where does it go from here? What, when? I mean, if this was written 2,000 years ago, then why would we think 2,000 years later that this has anything to do with our generation? Well, there's a very simple explanation for that. So put now point number two. So point number one, the book of Revelation is a prophecy. And point number two, we're going to talk about the dispensation of the fullness of time. All right, so now we're going to put the... The when, you know, when will this prophecy be fulfilled? And then when I lay down these little minor notes, we're going to go into detail in the scriptures themselves and let them speak for themselves. So how could a prophecy that was written 2,000 years ago have any significance for our generation today? Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. So I'm going to go all the way back to Galatians chapter 4. I want to show you something. In Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 3. All right, let's just look at verse 3. So verse 3 of Galatians 4, and you could read the whole chapter for context. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when, verse 4, Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, look at that. The fullness of the time was come. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. You know, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, there is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Okay, that's in Genesis chapter 3 and 4. There's the prophecy of the coming Messiah that will crush his head. He will bruise his heel. Okay, and then all the way from Genesis all the way through to the actual coming of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, one prophecy after another. Isaiah chapter 9 comes to mind that... Um, uh, the government will be upon his shoulder, and unto us a child is given, unto us a son is, is, uh, a son is given, a child is born. There are so many, I believe hundreds, of prophecies in the Old Testament, if we want to call it that, okay? Uh, everything from Malachi back to Genesis, even though that's not the, the exact order of the way things were in the scriptures. I think Job was the oldest book ever written, but anyways, so... From Genesis to Malachi, hundreds of prophecies, even in Micah, uh, in Bethlehem, a star will be in Bethlehem, a babe will be born, you know, there were prophecies about a coming Messiah. So here's what we have to consider. From the moment time began, 
In Genesis, when men fell out of the, the bliss of God and time began, okay, when, when man, Mrs. Adam, Mr. Adam, when they fell, a, a level of time, a horizontal timeline began that's called the chronos time, okay, the linear time. It began. And from the time of the fall of man, it took 4,000 years for the prophecies that were written in Scripture to be fulfilled, namely the arrival of the Christ, the arrival of the Son of God, the arrival of the Savior of the world. And so you have 4,000 years of prophecy that waited and waited and waited and waited for the fulfillment. But Galatians tells us that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, God sent his son. So there's another word for time. We have the chronos time, which is linear, horizontal, you know, from point A to point B, et cetera, et cetera. But then we have the kairos. And the phrase, the fullness of time, which also you'll find in Ephesians 1.10, the fullness of times, plural, but the fullness of time speaks of the kairos. And the kairos time in the Greek refers to the economy of God, when everything is rich, when everything is ready, when everything has come to its ripe season, when the moment of opportunity comes. So in other words, the kairos time of God as differentiated between the chronos time, the linear time that we're all subject to on this earth, it seems, but God's time is eternal. And it's when God knows in his spirit, now everything is ready. And it was 4,000 years before God said, now I'm going to send my son to have him born in Bethlehem and then bring him back to Nazareth and raise him up. And it was that time it took four thousand years. However, we have learned that with God, a thousand years is as a day to him. One day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So God's Kairos time is totally different than the way we view time linearly. All right. All God does is wait for the exact moment for the prophecies that were uttered about the Messiah coming Then the time comes, and it's rich, it's the opportune season, it's the ripe season, it is the dispensation and the economy of God, everything is ready, now do it. Well, the same principle stands true for the book of Revelation prophecy. See, just like thousands of years of people prophesying a Messiah would come, so the book of Revelation was written by John on the island of Patmos 2,000 years ago, but... It'll have its fulfillment in the dispensation of the fullness of time. When God sees everything on the planet exactly the way that he sees them to be, when God says now is the time that this prophecy is going to go forth, then he sends it. He opens it. He lets it begin. Just like the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah had to have first a birthing through the womb of a woman, okay? So it all begins with the birthing, something. I want you to key in on this. It all begins, when prophecy is coming to fullness, 
It all begins with the birthing of it. Before Yeshua, before Jesus ever ministered to the Israeli people to set the captives free and die for their sins, he first had to be born. And he had to grow up as a little baby. And he had to go through his little boyhood. And he had to grow up, okay, and and get through his teens and wait until the moment of his release to begin to do what he had to do. So Bible prophecy first must be birthed. It must be born. And then it grows up. And then it fulfills. Okay. So the book of Revelation is a prophecy. And every generation has been viewing and waiting and seeking to understand or to know if they were the generation that this prophecy would be fulfilled. But it doesn't take place until God says it's going to take place. That was point number two. So point number one, the book of Revelation is a prophecy. We have five verses that confirm that. Revelation, or excuse me, point number two is that the book of Revelation is a prophecy waiting for its moment to be fulfilled in the economy of God. Men can't rush it. You know, every time they tried to produce a Messiah because they got tired of waiting, there'd come false messiahs and there were judges and there were kings and all that, but none of them were the true one. And just like Abraham and Sarah wanted so quickly to have the promise fulfilled of having a son, they got in the way and they birthed an Ishmael, right? So when man puts his hand on things, he rushes things, he tries to force the hand of God, you can't do that. And nobody can force the hand of God in these biblical prophetic things. This is God's prophecy, the book of Revelation, and it will begin and it will be fulfilled in his time. Now, what we're looking at is to understand that we are viewing, let me get out of here real quick. Okay, let's go to point number three. Let's go to point number three. One of the most fascinating things that I found in my study in the book of Revelation was the consistency and the continuity, okay? What do I mean by that? Well, let me take you on a little journey, okay? Um, And I I could start in chapter 2, okay? And and let me just lay this forth and see if you can get my drift. So point number three, I want want you to consider that when this prophecy begins to go forth, that it will have a chronological order. Now, I know you may have heard different things, and that's okay. And we may be wrong. Okay, but we're searching it out. But I want to show you something, why I believe this is a prophecy that has such precision to it, like a clock. Okay, it's 12 o'clock, then the second goes around, one second, two second. It's chronologically in order, and it's chronos, chronologically, chronos. It has exact time frames on this earth. It's one event after another. Why do I believe that? that it's chronos, chronological, orderly, okay? I don't believe the book of Revelation is a jigsaw puzzle. I don't believe that because I think the Bible will speak for itself, but let's take a look. If you and I, point number three, chronological order, okay? There's a divine unfolding and an order, one event after the other. Why do I say that? Revelation chapter two begins with, letters 
to the seven churches. Is that correct? All right. So we have the first church. Now, if you go to Asia Minor and you look at the, the geographical design of the seven churches, there's a chronological order to it. It starts with Ephesus, and then it goes to the next, and then the next, and the next, and the next, and it's just like a clock. It doesn't go here, and then here, and then here, and then here. It's chronological. Look at the evidence in your own Bible if you have a map of the seven churches that were written to. Chronological order. But what's interesting is that you have the first church, then you have the second, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, then the sixth, then the seventh. So you have this order. But here's where I like to pick things up in chapter four. Listen to, and I'm just going to walk you through this. So if you'll just hear this clearly, I'm going to start with every single chapter. So if you can see here, I have chapter four and then chapter five, and I'm going to go from every chapter. First of all, the chronological order of the seven churches, just like a clock, okay, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Now listen to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Now this is exactly after the seven letters to the seven churches. It begins with chapter 4. After this, I looked. So first, he's shown the seven churches, the letters to the seven churches. After this, I looked. And behold, a door was opened in heaven. Chapter 5, verse 1. These are all in the first verses, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. And I saw. Remember the word and is taking one thought and carrying it to the next thought. Again, chronological order, divine order. So after this I looked, after this, chapters 2 and 3, Chapter 4 begins with, after this I looked, chapter 5, and I saw, chapter 6, verse 1, and I saw, again, and, so it's connecting all of chapter 5, now to what's ahead in chapter 6, chapter 7 begins with, and after these things I saw, and then in chapter 8, verse 1, this is all verse 1s, and when he had opened the seventh seal, now if you go back, they had the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, the fourth seal, the fifth seal, the sixth seal. Not the first and the fifth and the third and the fourth. No, there was chronological order again to the seals. Then in chapter 8, when he had opened the seventh seal, and when he had opened the seventh seal. So and again is connecting. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, which prior to that, there was the first, second, third, fourth. In chronological order, so everything's in order. Chapter 9, again, verse 1, and the fifth angel sounded. Chapter 10, verse 1, and I saw another mighty angel. So again, it begins with and, and you begin to see how it goes from one event and the next event and the next event. Then we come to Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod, then we go to chapter 12, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Then we get to chapter 13, verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Chapter 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion. Chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven. Chapter 16, verse 1. 
And I heard a great voice out of the temple, chapter 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel, chapter 19, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice, chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, getting to the climax, chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that to me is absolutely phenomenal that you get from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 22 and everything is spoken of and there's an and connecting one event to the next, one event to the next. That speaks very loudly of chronological order. With the chronological order of seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials. And in between all these chapters, you have these events, the first seal, and then the second seal, and then the third seal. And it just flows beautifully. Why is that important? Well, I believe if you put down on your piece of paper point number three in the Revelation Bible study, that this prophecy seems to foretell the future events with one event after another, one event after another. And that helps us to understand what is and what is coming, what we can actually expect to follow. So it enables us, the prophecy is meant to get us prepared, the elect of God, right? It's not about people leaving the earth. So there are several other points, but right now, just to begin, you have three major points, and I'm going to give you a fourth one, okay? So the fourth one, okay, point number one, it's a prophecy. Point number two, it's intended to come in the fullness of God's time when everything is rich. So prophecy could be around for 2,000 years and not yet be fulfilled, just like the prophecy of the coming Messiah was around for 4,000 years. But when it was time, it came. And just like this prophecy, it's been around for 2,000 years, but in the right season, it comes. Now, let's go to point number four. The thing that you have to understand about the book of Revelation, number one, okay, in, in point number four, write this down for point number four. This prophecy is global and universal. In other words, this prophecy includes everything in the created universe into it. It's all inclusive. What does that mean? Well, if you study the book of Revelation, you find out, number one, that it speaks of, let me give you an example of what I mean here. And I'm just going to go to Revelation chapter 13 uh, because it's one of my good reference points here. So in Revelation chapter 13, it says this. And it came to pass, I'm going to read out of verse 7, Revelation 13, 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and all tongues and all nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Say, the first thing I want to get into 
in the all-inclusiveness, point number four of this prophecy, it includes every living human being on the earth, and it incorporates into it the dead, which we'll see in the latter chapters of Revelation 20. It includes the fish of the sea. The fish of the sea are in this prophecy. The birds of the air are in this prophecy. It includes the mountains and the oceans. It affects the sun, the moon, the stars. It deals with angels and demons. It deals with God and the devil. It deals with Jesus Christ, the true Christ, and the Antichrist. It deals with everything in creation. The earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the heavenly realms, all nations on the face of the earth, the overcomers. There's nothing in this prophecy that is outside of it. Now, see, a lot of people like to say, well, this was a prophecy for Israel. This was predominantly an Israeli Middle Eastern prophecy. Um, But you see, the point was missed way back when in Scripture where God brought everything from the Jew-Gentile paradigm into another paradigm of Christ. And there is no Jew or Gentile in the body of Christ. It is only the body of Christ. So the whole Jew-Gentile paradigm has to be addressed before you could ever really understand this prophecy. This is a global prophecy. It involves everything in the created universe, everything in heaven, on earth, and in the other planets, the sun, the moon, the stars. I mean, everything that means you're in it. That's important to realize. That's important to realize. That's point number four. It's a global prophecy. Your next door neighbor's in it. The grocery clerk is in it. The bank teller's in it, your mama's in it, your daddy's in it, your cousin's in it, everybody in this, in the generation to which it comes. All right, let's go to point number five. Point number five is simple. Um, There are different views that the church or scholars have made about this incredible book. And there are four predominant views. And we'll just talk about those, okay? Because I'm sure, like denominations, there's a lot more. But there are four predominant views about the book of Revelation as far as, you know, timing. So, number one, they have what is called a historical view. And the historical view of the book of Revelation, now this is point number five, don't give up. Under point number five, say the four views of the book of Revelation, all right, point number one, it's a prophecy. Point number two, it'll come when God says it's going to come. Point number three, it is a chronological order. Point number four, it is global, all-encompassing. Point number five, uh, these are the four views. And A, view number one, is write down historical. So the first view we're going to look at is the historical view. And the historical view basically says that the book of Revelation went into effect when John wrote it. It was already kind of around and about, and it's been an ongoing prophecy since it was written. So you could find the historical view maybe in the Dark Ages, during the Crusades, during World War I, World War II, going back to the Colosseums of Rome that persecuted the church in 300 AD. It could go back to Nero 
So you could study the book of Revelation with a historical mindset and go, wow, I could look back and see where this book had meaning in history. Okay, that historical value to it. I have no problem with that. You could find that there were things that were done that are written in the book of Revelation at different times in history. Go to the second view. The second view is what we know as the symbolic view or symbology. So be symbolic. People say that when you read the book of Revelation, you have to understand it's a symbolic book. I mean, red dragons with seven heads and ten horns. We have beasts with seven heads and ten horns. We have all these four living creatures, the face of a man, the face of an eagle, the face of an ox, and the face of a uh, whatever it was. And so there's a lot of symbology. Maybe the 144,000 is a symbolic number. Um, you know, maybe there's – and so you have to be willing to view this prophecy with symbology – Uh, give allowance for it. And again, I have no problem with some symbology. I have no problem with some historicity or historical data in this prophecy. The third view to look at is the preterist view. The preterist view, and there are are realms of preterism. There's hyper-preterism, and then there's mild preterism. Preterism is basically the idea or the view that the book of Revelation was fulfilled in 70 AD. So hyperpreterism says that the book of Revelation was totally and completely fulfilled in 70 AD. It no longer holds any value for today because we have been in the millennial reign for 2,000 years. That's the hyperpreterism. It's all fulfilled. Mild preterism is a, a suggestion that some of the things that are written in the book of Revelation have been fulfilled. For example, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. There's some truth to that, that there's truth. So I have no problem with the allowance of some very mild preterism. So whether it is the first view of historical view, the second view of symbology or the symbolical view, or the preterist view in three, I give place and say, for the sake of argument, there may be some truth to that. But let's get to the fourth view, which is the most consistent view. And I'm not just talking about coming out of school of theology. I certainly never went to one. This is what I learned and what I believe. And I found out that I fit into that paradigm. It's known as the futurist view. It's the view that this prophecy was meant for the future, and it will arrive in the future in the dispensation of the fullness of time when God says it's time for this prophecy to begin. It's got to give birth, just like Jesus had to be born, and then it just escalated until he became, and it was fulfilled. Well, all right, so we have four views of this prophecy, and while I can accept the possibility of other views and mildly touch on them, I believe with all my heart that the view of this chronological prophecy is definitely a futurist view, meaning 
last 2,000 years, generation to generation, people have been wondering in the church age, is are we the generation? And they look through the view and they go, wow, World War II, look at the Inquisition, look at the Crusades, and they're looking, is this, is this the book of Revelation? And I understand that. That's keeping awake. That's watching. That's being sober. Jesus Christ always told all churches and all believers throughout the church age, stay awake. No generation was to go to sleep. So in the wisdom of God, world events go on and people look and they wonder, well, ladies and gentlemen, the prophecy has never been fulfilled. This prophecy has never been fulfilled. Regardless of what some people say, we are not and have not been living in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ for the last 2,000 years. That is absurd thinking. So I just can't go there with that idea. But it's okay. Five major points before we even start studying this book. Okay? Now, I want to I lend some credence to this. I want to go to Revelation chapter 1. All right? So let's go back there. And I want to go through a number of these verses. I want to show you something that I found. Because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, now you've got your notes, you've got the book of Revelation, you have the five major points that we just pointed out, you have the scripture to back it up, okay, and some good thoughts to go with that, so you can study that out. So when you actually begin to study the book of Revelation, the first verse is a major fork in the road for a lot of people. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take a look. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so a lot of people right there, they approach the book of Revelation as the revelation. And you know what it is. It's the apocalypsis, but let me get you the actual definition all right, so the actual definition of revelation is the apocalypsis, okay? Apocalypsis. And the apocalypsis means this, laying bare, making naked. In other words, laid out. There it is. Make it plain. Make it naked. It is a disclosure of truth or instruction. That's really important. Revelation is a disclosure of truth, telling somebody the truth in a disclosed way. It is also instruction. Ah, It also talks about concerning things before unknown. Now, the big issue here in the disclosure, the appearing, the manifestation, okay, is this question. It, is, it says it is the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. So a lot of people say, oh, the book of Revelation is about Jesus, the manifestation of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus. But that's not really what it says. If you do your due diligence and you search and research just the word of, the revelation of, do you know, I am David of Bethany. I am Joseph of Nazareth. The word of actually means belonging to. I am Vincent of Marty. I am Vincent of 
New Jersey. I am Vincent of Christ, okay? I, and you are. The word of simply means belonging to. So when you look at the word, the revelation belonging to Jesus Christ, well, now you have an instruction. You have a revelation of things that have been closed up, and now we're going to disclose the truth. We're going to share. We're going to make known. So we have the revelation, the unveiling, the manifestation belonging to Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So God gave Jesus this reality, this truth, this revelation. For what purpose? Look at it. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Ah, that's where we're going to break it down right there. So the revelation belonging to Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, was for the purpose of showing his servants things which must come to pass, which is prophecy. He's going to show them events that are in the future that are going to come. And he he uses this phraseology to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So I want to look at these three phrases. Number one, the word must. Let's look at it. So the word must, okay? He's got to show unto his servants things or events which must. Now, the word must simply means, it's, a, it's of necessity is what it means. It is, all right, here's the, here's the complete definition of the word must. And you want to write this down in your notes. Revelation 1.1, the revelation, the apocalypsis, the manifestation, the instruction, okay, the impartation of things belonging to Jesus Christ, the revelation belonging to Jesus Christ, to show his servants things which must, and the word must means it is necessary. So he's going to show his servants things that are necessary or behooves um, necessity. Um, And it goes, and it's all about necessity. So the word must just seems necessity, necessary moment, um, and it just talks about the, the behooving. I mean, this has got to be known, in other words, okay? So it's necessary, okay? The revelation belonging to Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which necessarily, shortly. Now, here's a great word. So out of necessity, these things are shortly going to come to pass. The word shortly is two Greek words, the first part of the word shortly is en, E-N. And that word is just meaning with, okay? Oh, it means with or by or in, okay? So the Greek word en, E-N, the first part of the word shortly is with or by. So the next part of that word uh, shortly is tacos, So if you look at the word shortly, it's two Greek words, en and then tacos. And the word tacos, like a tachometer, right? And you know when you you get into your tachometer, you start talking about quickness and speed. So the word shortly literally means with speed. A brief space, the word tacos, tachometer, haste, speedily. So watch how the definition works now. So we have God is going to show Jesus or gave Jesus a prophecy to show his servants things which out of necessity 
must shortly or with speed and tacos come to pass. Now, this is important because the phrase there, come to pass, is the genomi, the genomi. And that word genomi literally means to become or to come into existence. So what we're hearing, if we read it properly with the Greek, what we're hearing is that there is a revelation, there's instruction that God gave to Jesus to give to his servants to show them things which necessarily with speed are going to come into existence. So it's not chronological in the sense of it was written 2,000 years ago, so it's going to happen shortly right now in chronological momentary time. No, the revelation is going to come on the scene or come into existence with speed necessarily at the exact right time. In other words, the definition is also to appear in history, come upon the stage. So in other words, the book of Revelation is going to come upon the stage when everything is right. And when everything is right, it's going to come upon the stage with speed, shortly, with speed, acceleration. So after 2,000 years of this prophecy being written, where it's been just kind of process, 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 maybe here, maybe there, suddenly an exponential with speed, the stage is set, the global reality, which in the first time of the history of the world through technology, all the nations of the earth are connected. Israel has become a nation. So many other Bible prophecies that have brought this to the moment now with speed. In other words, the book of Revelation prophecy has begun. I believe, we're going to see in just a moment, that it has actually already been birthed. It hasn't been fulfilled, but in our generation, it has been birthed just as Israel, the fig tree, was born again. It was birthed in 1948. took a long time for it to become a fulfillment of the prophecy of the fig tree where it put forth its branches and its leaves and it's become a full nation. But this book of Revelation prophecy, I'm going to show you in just a moment how it has already been birthed. And I'm also going to show you how the book of Revelation is all about a woman in travail and how this prophecy begins with a travail. All right. All right. So these words must shortly come to pass, definitely it speaks of in the, in, in the set time, when the stage is set, when everything is right, with speed, necessarily, this thing is going to come into view. And boy, did I wonder if I left. I, I wanted to say one more thing, but I don't think I'm going to have a chance to. Da-da-da-da. All right, so... Yeah, that's in my other Bible. I have these incredible notes. But there's another thing we have to look at here. Um, Let's go back. I hope you're getting this. I hope so. Okay. So the revelation, the unveiling, the instruction, the foretelling, uh, belonging to Jesus Christ, because God gave him what the future would be. Jesus showed it to his servants. Okay. All the things, the global events, the end times, the prophecy that will of necessity with speed show up and appear in the perfect moment of time. 
which we believe, I believe, in the futurist view of things, it's now here. And so I believe that prophecy has to be birthed, and then it comes to fulfillment. And I believe that we're going to see here in just a moment that this prophecy has been birthed in our generation, the final generation on the face of this earth since Israel became a nation. Seventy years, 80th by strength, Israel 73 today, seven years left to the generation of Israel becoming a nation again. Um, But we're going to go deeper into that in just a little bit. Now, it says that he sent and he signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So John was the first one to get this by the angel that gave him the impartation, the revelation of the things that would come to pass that Jesus showed and God gave. All right, so there's order to that as well. Uh, John, it says in verse 2, who bore the record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. And then it gets into the blessing for he who reads with understanding and they that hear the words with understanding of this prophecy and they guard it, okay, for the time is at hand. In verse 3, that phrase right here, the time, I want to show you this. The word time there is the kairos, not the linear time of the chronos or chronological. This is the time, the kairos is at hand. So the word kairos, let me give you the definition. It means a measure of time. It means, listen, I love this definition of kairos, a fixed and definite time. So in the mind of God, the time of this prophecy coming to pass is a fixed and definite time in the mind of God. Just like it was a fixed and definite time in the mind of God when he would send his son who had been prophesied to come for 4,000 years. So in this scripture is now telling us in verse 3 that the time is at hand, the kairos, the measure of time, the fixed and definite time. The time when things are brought to crises. You see, these are definitions that, you know, I I forgot when I was telling you the definition of Kairos. It's the time when things are brought to a crisis. Are we not witnessing a crisis globally all over the world at the same time? And that's another important key we'll get into. So we have a fixed and definite time when things are brought to crises. It is the decisive epoch waited for. It is also the opportune or seasonable time. Wow. And then here's the, here's the kicker on that one, okay? So it is for the time, the kairos is at hand. And that phrase there, is at hand, is the engus, okay? The, or the egius. And watch this word, is amazing. Because it means to literally squeeze or throttle. So, the time, the fixed and definite time that God is going to send this prophecy that's going to come with speed on the world stage is going to be squeezed into existence, throttled, literally forced by the hands of God, by the mind of God, by the word of God. So the time is at hand. The time is being squeezed. The time's imminent. So throttled, squeezed, ready. Wow. 
If we could put that together, if we could put that together, I will go no further. I love studying Revelation chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 to get a pure mind so we're not caught up in, well, it was 2,000 years ago. Well, no, what it really says in the impartation of the Word of God was that this prophecy is going to be fulfilled when the time is right in the economy of God and the world stage is set. God's going to squeeze it, throttle it, force it to come to pass in, in, with speed. It's going to come with a tachometer. It's going to tacos. It's going to come immediately upon the world stage at the right time. This is awesome because we look around the world now. And again, if there was a sixth point that I should have given you up front, it would be simply this. This prophecy, while it is, is global, it is unlike any other prophecy because every other prophecy that's ever been fulfilled except for the coming of Jesus Christ had a global impact. But even then, it was only to the Middle East. This prophecy involves everything in the created universe, like we said, and it takes place at the same time. The book of Revelation prophecy is a global prophecy that impacts the earth at the same time. Now, we had World War I and World War II, but that happened over there at that time. We had the Crusades, and that happened over there at that time. We had the Inquisitions over there at that time with the Reformation. We had the uh, Bolshevik Revolution over there in Russia at that time. We had all these different things that have happened in the world at different times in different places, but the book of Revelation is at the same time everywhere, always at the same. It's global at the same time, and that's what we're witnessing in our generation right now. That's just another point. Now, you might want to just kind of make a little line and do a different note here because you also want to, even though there are chapters, I showed you that every chapter begins with a connection and after this and, okay, so chapter one, I would write down in, as far as chapteral chronology, chapter one is introduction. Okay, there is no prophecy in chapter one. It is an introduction of the prophecy. It was God's. He gave it to Jesus to give to his servants who gave it to John to tell everybody. And there's introduction throughout that first chapter. Now, when we go back to uh, New Wine Ministry and we take this step by step and scripture by scripture, we're going to break it down. And it'll probably take us a year to get through the whole thing if we have time to do that. Who knows? But it, it is... Chapter 1, Introduction. Chapter 2 and 3, Letters to the Seven Churches representing the menorah or the entirety of the church age, encouraging them to overcome their societal problems. And I'll tell you, the church living in the days we're living in right now, globally all over the world, we have some societal issues going on that we all need to overcome. The book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, or the letters to the seven churches, they have meaning and value to all believers in the world today as they have for all believers since the beginning of time when the prophecy was given. But there's no prophecy in Revelation 2 or 3. So while Revelation chapter 1 is introduction, no prophecy. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, letters to the seven churches, no prophecy. Revelation chapter 4, 
It begins with John being taken up to heaven through an open door. That is not the rapture of the church. And I want to get there, and I want to show you something in Revelation chapter 4. And in verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, I will show you things which must be hereafter. The purpose of the Apostle John going into the heavenly throne of God Almighty was to reveal to him the things which are going to come hereafter. So John, like every other true prophet of God, has been apprehended by God and downloaded, whether it was Isaiah going into the, the, the throne of God and seeing uh, you know, the, the throne of his glory, you know, the robe of his glory, whether it was Isaiah seeing uh, that's Isaiah, and then Ezekiel saw the tabernacle of God or the throne of God with the wheels on it, and Moses went to the burning bush. God always apprehends those who are going to bring his message. So chapter 4 is John going up, not in a rapture of the church, but to get a revelation of what's to come. But again, I, I don't want to belabor that yet. So chapter 4, John goes into heaven. He sees amazing things, but there's no prophecy in chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 5, although there is, uh, in chapter 4 and 5, uh, there is a revelation of the very end of all things where all creation is worshiping God that does exist. But there's no prophecy of the things that are coming, the events that are coming on the earth during this time. It's just the worship of God. Hallelujah. So Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 5 is all about the one who sits on the throne that has a book in his hand. And in the book are seven seals. Now, when you go back to Daniel chapter 12, he said, Daniel, seal up the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, right? So we have a sealed book in Daniel chapter 12, and it's sealed at the time of the end. By the time we get to Revelation 5, John has sees a sealed book. He's weeping because nobody could unseal it. And so the Lamb of God comes into view who's worthy to unseal the book. But now, Revelation 5, no prophecy. No prophecy in Revelation 1. No prophecy in Revelation 2, 3, 4, and 5. No prophecy. Introduction, letters to the churches, John's ascension to the throne to get a revelation of what's coming. Chapter 5, the book that contains the prophecy. The book is the prophecy. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3. Okay? Eat this book. I wonder if I should show you that right now. So, yeah, let's do it. Ezekiel. We have time. Ezekiel chapter 2, and it's at the end of the book, and we'll just read it this way. So Ezekiel chapter 2, um, stand on your feet, verse 1, and I will speak unto you. But when you get all the way down to verse 9, Ezekiel 2, 9, when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentation, mourning, and woe. And in verse chapter 3, verse 1, moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause your belly to eat and fill your bowels with this roll that I give you. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. So 
And there's a lot more to that. Now, if you go to Revelation chapter 10, listen to this. Revelation chapter 10, the last verses, it says in verse 8, Revelation 10, 8. The voice which I heard from heaven spoke unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make your belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, which is the word of God, for the prophecy that needs to be spoken. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I ate it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Prophesy. Speak the words of God. That's what's in the book. So when we get to Revelation chapter uh, 5, we have again this book that is sealed on the inside, the outside. And what is this book? This is the prophecy. It's the prophecy. But there's no prophecy in chapter 5. So when does the prophecy begin? It begins in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is the beginning of the last prophecy to be fulfilled on this earth. Revelation chapter 6, when we look at the first four seals, and each seal is an opening of the prophecy. The word seal, by the way, at the very root of that word seal in the Greek means to understand, to understand. So in the beginning of the prophecy, the end time final prophecy for the future generation, with the events that begin to happen with the opening of the seals, it should produce understanding in God's kids who are here. Because every one of the word seals means to understand, to understand. So we need to find understanding when the prophecy begins. Now, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, when he talked about, watch out for deception. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be people saying, I am of Christ. And he talked about all these earthquakes and famines and pestilences and commotions and troubles. He talks about all of it in all the different Gospels. He always concludes that thought, earthquakes, famines, war, deception, false Christ, all these things as the beginning of sorrows. And the word sorrows refers to a woman in travail. The beginning of her travail, the birth pangs. Okay, Jesus taught that. Well, so does Revelation chapter 6. In fact, Revelation chapter 6 is where the prophecy actually begins with the opening of the first seal. Let's take a look. Revelation 6.1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Ta-da! The book. What happens? I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. <clears throat> the seal opens. It's been a closed book. For a very long time. But now the Lamb who is worthy opens the first seal and there's thunder. That's powerful imagery, right? I heard one of the 
the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. John, I'm about to show you the beginning of the final prophecy that will begin and chronologically move forward until it's fulfilled. So I believe, I mean, there's seven years left, for example, uh, in the year, for, for 80 years, for Israel becoming a nation. This revelation prophecy, in my understanding, could be fulfilled in the next couple of years. I mean, it's because I think it's already begun. Why do I think it's begun? Well, let's get down to some nitty gritty, okay? Let's look and see if this ever happened. Now, you could look in the historical view, the preterist view, the symbolic view, but definitely in the futurist view, let's take a look. Has this ever happened in the history of the church age? What is that? Come and see. See what? And I saw and behold a white horse. Hmm. Get ready to take some more notes. This is important. Because you know and I know that the first four seals involve four horses. That's why it's called the four horses of the apocalypse. Cool, huh? But what do horses represent in Bible prophecy? Some of you are going, I know, because you've heard it. Well, let me read to you what a horse represents, okay? In Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10. And here's what we read. And I'm just going to kind of skip through it. You should take the note and study it out. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. Okay, I'm just going to pick it up in verse 3. My anger was kindled against the shepherds. I punished the goats. For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock. Listen, the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah. So the house of Judah is a people. It's also known as his flock. But look what he does with Judah. The Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and has made them as his goodly horse in the battle. All right, so what does it say? Judah, the house of Judah, is a people. They're a flock, but he made them to do what? He made them as his goodly horse in the battle. So this is the Lord's white horse. This is the Lord's horse, okay? So this is his goodly horse in the battle. Is there a horse that the Lord rides in the book of Revelation into battle? Well, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 19. I hope you're cross-referencing and studying. Well, what we find in Revelation chapter 19, as opposed to Revelation 6, which I'll show you in just a moment, Revelation 19, verse 11. Now, keep Zechariah 10 in view, okay? We're not done there yet. But we know that the Lord has made Judah his goodly horse for the battle. So a people group are his horse. Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. So here's Revelation 19, a white horse. 
He that sat upon him was called faithful and true. There's only one I know who's called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. Ah, so he who sits on this white horse is judging and making war. In other words, he's going to battle. And it actually tells us that as we go on into this prophecy. So Revelation 19, and I know I got far ahead, the white horse is a people. It's not a celestial horse coming down out of heaven with wings. The Lord's horse is a people group, and Judah is the high praise, right? Judah is a set-apart people. Judah is a remnant. Judah is a sanctified, holy, set-apart in Bible prophecy and symbology. So the Lord's going to ride into battle with a people group in the book of Revelation chapter 19 after the destruction. Oh, this gets really good. But hold on a second, Vincent. All right, so the Lord is going to, he's going to battle, and he's going to tread, and he's going to, he's going to fight. Now, Zechariah chapter 10 talks about this horse, but there's one phrase I need you to see here. So he has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and has made them as his goodly horse in the battle. And I believe that goodly horse in the battle is Revelation 19, the Lord's white horse. Now, remember, horses represent people groups, and the devil is what? He's the great counterfeiter. He seeks to counterfeit everything that is true. So if there's the Lord has a goodly horse fit for the battle, which is a people group, the Lord has a white horse. Well, the Antichrist, the devil, has a white horse too. And we're going to find out exactly who that people group was in just a second. But it also says in verse 5 of Zechariah 10, and they shall be as mighty men. Who? The horse, the goodly horse, Judah. In context, they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. Literally riding them. He's within them. He rides them, right? The Lord's mind is in them. Wow. And the riders on horses shall be confounded. Oh, there's riders, plural, on horses, plural, in this end-time prophecy, and they're confounded when Judah, the one horse of the Lord, rides. Hmm. Are you getting to see a picture? Now, in Revelation chapter 6, again, we have the four horses, and the 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 first horse is a white horse. So we know it's a people group. So we're going to ask ourselves a question, but I need to make another point. And I hope that you'll write this down. Have you ever noticed in Bible prophecy that Bible prophecy from the beginning of nations when it came to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. Have you ever noticed in the context of all the, 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 the world government nations that were before us, going all the way back to Egypt, Assyria, that God would proclaim certain things and pronounce doom, that it was always a nation wherein Israel were a gathered people. Israel were a gathered people in Egypt. 
They were a gathered people in Assyria. They were a gathered people in Babylon, in the prophecies of Babylon as a world power. They were a gathered people when the Medo-Persians were a world power, when Greece was a world power, when Rome was a world power. Israel was a gathered people. In 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, Israel was scattered to the ends of the earth. They were not gathered until 1948. So the final prophecy, here's a clue, really cannot have scriptural consistency until Israel is a gathered people again. And they began to be gathered in 1948. Today, Israel is a gathered people, a gathered nation. So now, Bible prophecy can commence. I think that's phenomenal, which tells me from 70 AD to 1948, everything in between, the prophecy could not be fulfilled because Israel was not a gathered nation. But now they are, and they're definitely involved in the prophecy, as the whole world is. So, I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him. So, we have to discover since 1948, can we find this seal open? Will our understanding be enlightened? Will we, will we come to agreement in any of this? Let's see. So after 1948, 1967, the time we're in right now, what does this mean? I saw a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Now the word bow, we know there's a people group, and I'm going to tell you who I believe the people group is in just a second, okay? The word bow is the Greek word toxin. Let me walk you through it here. Let me, let me just walk you through this because I want, you to, I want you to be so clear on this. So I'm going to go all the way back to the word bow. Okay, he was given a bow. Now, in, in Genesis talks about the rainbow in Noah's time. But all the way down here into Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, here's what the word bow means in the Greek. And I could tell it to you, but I want you to see it. And here it is. The word bow. He that sat on him had a bow. The word bow is toxin. It's exactly correct. Now, the word toxin, let's get into it a little bit. You've got to study it out. Means a bow, apparently as the simplest fabric. Okay. Fabric. That's important because scripture was written on a particular kind of fabric and so was another book written. Now, I want to tell you what that book is in my belief. Now, if you stay with me for the next 10 minutes, you're going to, there's an epiphany coming, okay? So the word bow is the simplest fabric, surfacely. So parchment, fabric, okay? Things are written on fabric, parchments, the different kinds. It actually talks about that, by the way, here in just a moment. Now, you go to the deeper Greek in toxin, and it's tic-toe, tic-toe. And the word tic-toe is very, very telling. But first of all, uh, let, me, let me give it to you. Tic-toe literally means, so he was given a bow. It means to bring forth. It means to produce. 
So the rider on the white horse is given the ability to bring forth or to produce something. The definition is a woman giving birth. It is also in the definition of tiptoe. Listen to this. It means to be delivered or to be in travail. So in Revelation chapter 6, a prophecy that must begin and then be fulfilled, it talks about in the first horse, one was given the ability to bring forth or produce or to be delivered or to be in travail, the beginning of sorrows. So Revelation chapter 6 with the opening of the first seal is the beginning of sorrows. It is the ability of the one writing it to bring forth and to produce this prophecy. But who is it? Who is this white horse? Who is its rider? Well, if we stick with the fabric or the parchment, which is all in the definition, we come to a little book, the parchment, the bow in this rider. It's known as, oops, where did I go? Don't go anywhere, Vincent Xavier. Okay. It's known as the Koran. The Koran. Yes, the Koran. Um, it is the Koran. And I want to get back here for just a moment. Let's see if I can go back a little further. I don't think I can. I'm going to go back to prophecy. All right. What? The Koran? What does the Koran have to do with anything? I'm going to show you here in just a moment, because this is, going to, this is amazing to me. I mean, all right, Revelation chapter, man, where did I go? So the one in his hand, he has a bow, a bow, and the word bow, fabric, parchment, a book. So the rider of the white horse of Revelation chapter 6, the white horse has to be a people group. So what is the people group of the Antichrist? What happened in our generation? And I want you to put these thoughts together, okay? Just write them down. There, and in order to understand this, we have to go back to Revelation chapter, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 16. Don't let me lose you on this. Stay with me. Genesis chapter 16. And you know what it says there, okay? Revelation 16, ooh, it's going to come together nicely. I could feel it right now. Verse 11, I want to get to verse 11 or verse 10. No, let's go to verse 11. So Genesis 16:11, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, you are with child and shall bear a son. Who's he talking to? Hagar. And thou shalt call his name Ishmael. Ishmael the son of Hagar and Abraham, right? Because the Lord has heard your affliction. And now I want you to listen to the description of Ishmael in verse 12. He will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So we have Ishmael come into view all the way back at the beginning. And remember, the end is revealed from the beginning. So now let's go to Genesis chapter 21 and verse 19. Genesis 21, 19. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. This is Hagar ready to die in the wilderness. But the angel of the Lord helps her. 
And verse 20 says, And God was with the lad, Ishmael, and he grew. Ishmael, the wild man, the wild beast of a man, the wild ass of a man is what it means. And God was with the lad, and he grew, Ishmael, and dwelt in the wilderness, listen, and became an archer. Ooh, an archer. What is an archer? An archer is someone that shoots bows through an arrow. Bows and arrows. An archer. He became a hunter, an archer, with bows and arrows. You know what archery is? Ishmael, which is the father of Islam today, Ishmael, the wild man who God designed to be against the whole world, every man, He's against every man's hand and every man's hand against him. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Oh, I remember now that on 9-11-2001, there were aeroplanes flying through the sky that hit the trade towers, the World Trade Centers. Oh, aeroplanes flew through the sky, hit the tower, the people group that were accused was Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, what does that mean? Al-Qaeda means the base, the beginning, the foundation. What is Revelation chapter 6? It is the beginning. The rider on the horse is given a bow, the toxin. He's got the parchment, the Quran, the Hadith, and all the Islamic writings inspiring the white horse people group and it began with Al-Qaeda that rode, and they were given a crown, you'll see, because they were victorious, because on 9-11, the archer sent his arrows, planes, into the buildings and knocked them down. And what did that produce? The beginning of a global world war, because you'll remember, it was right after 9-11 that President Bush came to the world stage, and he said, we are now going on a world, a global world war. He declared global world war, and he said, either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. The terrorists, he described, were the Middle Eastern nations, predominantly in North Korea, and he described them as very Ishmael. Who's, he's the wild man whose hand is against every man, and every man's hand representing the United Nations is against him. So President Bush declared a global world war that began, that was produced, by the 9-11 attack, by the aeroplanes that flew across the sky from a people group called Al-Qaeda that affected the whole world after 1,900 and some odd years of silence in prophecy. Now Israel is a gathered nation. Now Israel is here, and a prophecy began, not in World War II. They weren't a nation yet, but in the year 2001, The world stage was set, and it came on the scene with speed, and it is happening, and something began. So, if 9-11 was the beginning of the end-time prophecy, which I totally believe it was, and we have all the descriptions of Al-Qaeda, meaning the base, the beginning, Al-Qaeda that produced the beginning of travail of global terrorism and warnings and all these things that have been going on ever since. The world has changed since 9-11, 2001 in America, the Patriot Act, and on and on and on we could go. 
But did it end there? Al-Qaeda left the gate. That was the first horse. But did you ever notice, and i got to wrap it up now, that the second horse was red, representing the red horse of war, the Islamic sword. It was given a great sword. And you had the Arab Spring in 2010 and 2011, where governments within the Middle East were turned upside down. Do you ever notice the, the, the war that broke out, the rumors of war that broke out? Oh, yeah, since 9-11, 2001, it just broke out. The red horse. And then the black horse of famine, economic imbalance. 2008, we saw millions of people lose everything they had. Um, we know that in, in, in North Africa, starvation, hunger, famine. I mean, it was all breaking out. What did we have? We had the Al-Qaeda 9-11 attack. We had the release of Islam. Then we had the red horse of war. Jesus said the beginning of sorrows would be deception. And that white horse, by the way, is the counterfeit of God's white house, Jesus' white horse. Red horse, war, black horse, famine. Mm, That's what the beginning of sorrows is. Famines, wars, earthquakes. Oh, and then, of course, the fourth horse is the greenish colored one, the chlorophyll. That's the pale horse, and its rider is death, and hell followed with him. That's ISIS. Wait a second. Terror groups, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, Hamas, ISIS, Daesh, ISIL, whatever you want to call them. What did we see hit the world stage to begin the final prophecy? Four colors, white. Red, black, and green. Now, you need to go do your homework. Type in, what is the color of the Palestinian flag? What is the color of the flag of Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Yemen, uh, all of them? Go into the Middle East and look at every single color of the flags representing the Middle East and Islam, and you will see white, red, black, and green. And I believe 2,000 years ago, God put a clue in the book of Revelation that the beginning of the prophecy would begin with these four colors representing the Islamic world. And it began with Al-Qaeda on 9-11-2001. Ladies and gentlemen, there's more detail that we can get into. But those four colors, God put there for a reason. And these are the colors of the Middle East. And I do believe by the time we get further into this prophecy, it has begun. It's not going away. A woman, when she begins to give contractions and she goes into labor, she doesn't just say, well, I'm done with that. Now I'm going to put it on pause. I'm going to go away. No, there may be a pause between the labor pangs, but the birth is coming. The prophecy is going to be fulfilled. It has begun And I believe it began in our generation when Israel became a nation on 9-11-2001. It began with Al-Qaeda. And those four colors representing, I believe that by the time we get into the prophecy, there will be a caliphate. And the Sunni and Shia forces of Islam will gather together under the Mahdi. And I believe the Mahdi is the Antichrist. And I believe he's known as the 12th Imam. He is the Khalifa. So the Khalifa and the book that inspires these writers, the book that inspired Al-Qaeda and all Islam is the Quran and the Hadith and all the other Islamic writings, the parchments, the fabrics upon which they're written, the fabric of their flag. It's all there. 
and probably some more I haven't even mentioned yet. So, in our generation, while Israel's a nation, a global shaking that began with Ishmael. And we're reading it in the book. Do you know the fifth seal is simply about the martyrs under the altar? The sixth seal is very interesting. And maybe tomorrow we'll get into that one, the sixth seal, because that sixth seal is amazing because it goes back to Isaiah. Its language is all throughout the Old Testament, so we shouldn't be confused about it. So where are we at here today? The travail has begun. The prophecy, the book of Revelation, has begun, and we can view it in a chronological order. And we could always remember, let me just lay this forth to you. You might want to write this down. Revelation chapter 1 through 5, introduction, no prophecy. Chapter 6, the prophecy begins. Chapter 7, there's a pause in the pangs. Write that in your chapter 7, pause in the pangs. What is it? It's just showing the two people groups, the overcomers and the general multitude. And it tells us where each one are going to be. But there's no prophecy in chapter 7. It's a pause in the pangs. And those first pangs of Revelation 6 with the four horses, those are major birth pangs. That's something that, wow, this thing has begun And we're looking at it going, what really has begun? Chapter 7, pause in the pangs. Chapter 8 and 9, the accelerated, intensified birth pangs. It gets intense in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Whoa, she's going into travail now, man. It's, whoa, these are not just soft little things. These are intense. So the pangs go on. In Revelation chapter 8 and 9, chapter 10, a breather. Man, another pause in the pangs. No prophecy in chapter 10, but John is told to eat the book and go and prophesy again. And then what happens? Revelation chapter 11, 12 are major birth pangs, right? But by the time you get to Revelation chapter 12, there's a woman in travail giving ready to give birth. Now comes the birthing. And the woman is giving birth to the man-child, the sons of God, the birthing of the Antichrist or the birthing of the Great Tribulation happens in chapter 13. Chapter 13 is the birth of the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. It's the time of birthing. In chapter 14, the harvest. Immediately after the tribulation, chapter 14 is the harvest. There's two groups that are harvested. The first harvest are the elect of God. That's Revelation and Matthew 24. The dead in Christ shall rise. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That all happens in Revelation 14. And then the second group is gathered together for the winepress of the fiercest wrath of Almighty God, which is revealed in Revelation 16. Chapter 15 is another pause. So after the resurrection, man, it is so well written, this prophecy. It has such a divine order to it. Chapter 14, the harvest of the righteous wheat, the elect of God, connecting with Matthew 24. Chapter 15, angels singing, the song of the overcomers. It's a beautiful moment. Chapter 16, the seven vials of the wrath of God. We're not here for that. 
church isn't here for that. Now the wrath of God is the wine of the, the fiercest wrath of Almighty God, the wine press. And that leads to the destruction of Mystery Babylon in 17 and 18. Both mystery, the religious, and mystery, the governmental, political aspects, Babylon is destroyed by the seven vials of the wrath of God. Chapter 19, the Lord returns with his armies, and he does battle, and he casts the prophet, the false prophet and the beast into the pit, and then he comes to set up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And in chapter 20, the, the devil is bound for a thousand years. And then we have the millennial reign. Mamma mia, it's all there. It's a prophecy, and it's awesome, and it has begun, and it shall be fulfilled, even though there be pauses between the pangs. Well, tomorrow, Lord willing, we're going to get into the sixth seal. I leave you today with the potential, the possibility, this prophecy has begun. We are five seals into it, and we're going to look at the sixth seal maybe a little bit later. All right. Having said that, uh, let me say good morning to a few people that are out there today. I know this, this loses it. So what is the point of this? My question to you. When you look through this biblical lens, are you witnessing the signs of the times? What are these signs telling you? You have a prophecy to navigate you when you understand it. It is not complicated except if it remains sealed. But when the seals come off, the understanding comes. We are in the final prophecy and it, it's, been, it's given birth, and now it's going to come to fulfillment in the days that lie ahead of us. And everything, everything is pointing to our generation. With the climax, I mean, the total thing being fulfilled in a seven-year period would not be strange to me. But we are in something that is amazing. So let's see where we're at here. Okay. Hey, Jody, what is that? Let us take you and wife out to lunch before you leave. Hey, we're leaving tomorrow. Where do you live, Jody? Let's get together. Let's, uh, let's do that. I think Jody's got a pretty decent ministry, by the way, on um, YouTube. I, I'm speaking of the same person. Uh, let me go back and just say hello to everybody this morning. I see Charlotte Gotch was with us first in the morning. You get rewards for that. I believe that. Um, and let's go. Phil was with us this morning. Praise the Lord for Phil and Miriam. Cindy, mess, Cindy, did you finish the 21 day? Are you done? Let me know. I'd like to know. Uh, Brian and Kathy giving us good morning from Honduras. Sarah, happy 29th anniversary. Xavier's glad to see you both made it safely. Me too. Uh, thank you for preaching on all revelations. I've been doing the best we can. Miriam is out there today. God bless you. Shirley Woolsey is with us. Shirley, God bless you and Mike and your family. Kevin saying, well said about man's hand in these things. Uh, the preterist view is included in the historical timeline. A heart failure Bible study. Wow. Okay, I know who that is. Let's go beyond that. Um, we need to get beyond that. So that's a hyper preterist saying those things. Surely, very eye-opening. Thank you, Pastor. You are most welcome. You are most welcome. So let's go on to Jody says, Sarasota here. Jody, are you in Sarasota? Let's have lunch today. Let me know. Give me a call. Here's my number. 858-864-8712. 
858-864-8712. Give me a call and uh, praise the Lord. Laquita is with us this morning. Laquita, I need to know how Paul is doing today. Everybody wants to know in Jesus' name how Paul is doing. We want to understand. All right. Cindy says, good morning, Brian and Kathy. Praise the Lord all the way from Honduras. I hope they're enjoying. Uh, Kevin says, God knew what was to come from man's doing to have a child and saved him, Ishmael. Man would reap what he has sown since Abram. Today, God is still allowing us to see and live through that time, no doubt. So today, we are still learning from man's mistake and not following what God said he would do for us. But we are an impatient people. There's no doubt about that. Brian and Kathy Cindy Messman, good morning, Cindy. All right, so there's good communications there. Uh, how do I get a hold of you? Again, 858-864-8712. Powerful teaching today, Brian and Kathy. Thank you for that. Man, that means a lot to me, Brian and Kathy, because I know you are all so very much well-studied. Thank you. And you know what? It goes deeper and deeper and deeper, doesn't it? I can't wait to break bread on these things all right, so if you have a question or a comment and you would like to call into the program, make sure you give a call right now. The number to call is 818-369-0326. I went for two hours today because I thought maybe somebody would have a question or maybe there would be a comment that somebody would like to make. So make sure that you share that if you will. All right, and again, listen, there may be some differences in our understanding and our opinions about things. I try to stay totally away from opinion. I love the word of God to interpret itself. I look at world events around me, and I look through this lens, and I find interpretation. And I can't imagine that this interpretation is false or inaccurate. I believe it's a very good interpretation. And I love the book of Revelation. Tomorrow, when we get into the sixth seal... It's a challenge, but it's a beautiful challenge because of what it it speaks of. Praise the Lord. Hey, I've got a call coming in right now. I'm going to see if I can take it. I've been trying to do this on my laptop computer. Let's see if I can get the call through and say good morning to our dear friends in South Dakota. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. Yes, I do. I have a question and possibly a comment. Um, Okay, the question. Okay, in Revelations, when it speaks of the people's names that are written in the Lamb's, in the book, in the book, that that they will be, um, they will still, a lot of people, like you say, they believe they're going to be gone before this is fulfilled. But right there in Revelations, in the sixth chapter, it tells that they will be here because this beast system will make war with the saints. How can you make war with somebody if they're not here? You know, so that clears that up in my mind for me. Now the other thing is this: these four horses of uh, Revelations here. I just recently heard something that might fit in. It might fit in, and here's what it is. Okay. God, the way you explained it, the Lord has it set in order for it to come to pass. So now today, in the day and age that we're living, could the white horse 
represent an anti-Christ spirit which would come through a system, maybe which we've got set up here throughout the earth now, the largest church in the world really is Catholicism. I'm going to run this fast by you. White horse, could that be Catholicism? The red horse, could that be represent communism? Because that's their color. Could the black horse, now this was a strange one, represent capitalism and the pale horse, Islam? So the devil has something planned up too, exactly the way the, the Lord has it planned. And are these things all in action right now? It's a great question, and it's possible. All of it's possible. The way that I view it is the four colors of uh, the book of Revelation, the four horses, definitely is Islam. I believe it's the different factions of Islam that we saw leave the gate. Remember, the horses and the riders will continue to the very end. They will be confounded when the white horse rider comes. But I believe that the, the great red dragon is China in the United Nations, eventually will take it over, will give power to the beast. And I believe that China and the Islamic reality is there. I also believe in Chrislam. So you could have an integration between Chrislam, uh, Christianity, and Islam coming together in a religious spirit, which is probably the second beast of Revelation 13. But if I looked at it, I would see the great red dragon that Satan works through China in the last days. They come to power. Um, and all the red communist nations, absolutely, because they are red. And then, of course, you have Mystery Babylon the Great, uh, which are the secret societies of the world. So you also have the Illuminati. You have all these other groups that get down into this whole cosmic, satanic thing that's going on. And it incorporates a lot. And, yeah, I think everything satanic is involved in this. And it is in motion. It is in action, um, in my understanding. But, yeah, what you just said could be very, very true. No doubt. Okay. Yeah, we're, uh, we're in serious hour. And uh, all mm-hmm. I can believe right now, according to what the scriptures teach, and then in my own heart, is that we are going to cry, Abba, Father, come, Lord Jesus, someday. Yeah, and, and remember, Kathy, that the word of God says, when you see these things begin to come to pass, and they are beginning. Look up, for your redemption is drawing nigh. In other words, it doesn't happen at that moment. Just because things have begun doesn't mean we look up and we're gone. It means look up in your spirit, look beyond the cross, look beyond the moment into the eternal reality, for your redemption draws nigh. Your time of translation, your time of transition, your time is coming. So now that it has begun, when you see these things begin to come to pass, We should be having a heavenly perspective. We should have our mindset on things above. We should look way beyond the earthly, natural things. And I think that's a super important point for all of us so that we don't get depressed, that we don't get afraid, that we don't get ourselves into anxiety and and all this negativity. We should know that these things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age has come. And I think that's so important for us to stay encouraged, encourage one another, stay in the word of God, know that these instructions were given to comfort the elect of God, to warn the wicked, and my, oh, my, my, oh, my. All right. Anything else? 
Yes, and that's what I'm looking forward to is the millennium reign of Jesus Christ when Amen. he returns. And that's that's my cry, Abba, Father, come on, Jesus. So that can come into play What so Jesus Christ can rule and reign in righteousness. That's it. Amen. I love it. Yes, that's what we're all looking for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it has to be brought into view. You know, when a woman is pregnant, and I know you know this, and so does every other woman. When a woman is pregnant and she begins the process of producing the birth pangs, she doesn't give birth after the first three months, unless it's an improper birth. She doesn't give birth. She has to go through the process of laboring to bring forth. We're in the labor realm. We're in the beginning of sorrows, like the Bible talks about. We're in it. Everything Matthew 24, 4 to 8 says is connected to Revelation chapter 6. They work hand in glove, if people would only see it. But So we're happy that we're going towards something, and something is coming towards us in the, in the economy of the kingdom of God. But we also know we need to be prepared and be ready to endure to the end of this and be willing to go through and not give up and have our names blotted out of the book of life. And the only thing that I can think about people that think they're gone after Revelation chapter 4 is that their names have been blotted out. But I don't never wish that upon anybody. Um, but nowhere in any of the chapters does it suggest that the church is gone. Any other thoughts? Maturity of spirit. And that is just mm-hmm. like the child that is conceived in the womb. It is not ready to be brought forth until it is fully matured. And that's Amen. what God's trying to do spiritually with his people, his bride today. Which is an excellent point because that's, while all these things are going on in the world, Father God is building his house. He's growing up his people. He's looking for his huios, his mature sons and daughters. And he is at work performing that in our hearts and our minds while we're living in the midst of this chaos and, and crises that's all over the world. So we should recognize that the temple is built in the middle of troublesome times. And this is the spiritual temple of God that he's building. All right. All right, Kathy, thank you. God bless you, dear sister. Yes. Yep. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. God bless you. All right. So that's a great call. Again, if you have a question or a comment, the number to call is 818 818- Three six nine zero three two six. We've got about ten minutes left in the broadcast if we want to go any deeper. So if you have a question or comment about what you heard, something you'd like to add, something you'd like to throw in there, um, you know, I am so wide open to comments and people that, in uh, in, in a spirit of love, uh, want to engage in a conversation about what we're talking about. You know, anybody that comes up with a hardcore you know, you know, that to me is pride, and I just don't want to entertain spirits of pride. So we could all learn. We're all learning from each other. I've laid forth what I believe. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing. Will I be back tomorrow? We've got to be at the airport. Let's see, because we've got to do something else tomorrow. Hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. If I don't, I'll see you Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. But I hope to see you tomorrow. God bless you guys. You're, you're just a joy to my heart. And please consider sowing into the ministry. We would really appreciate that as well. 
Till we meet again, this is Pastor Vince. I'm going to say goodbye for now. Thank you for everybody that's online right now and calling, uh, listening on Blog Talk Radio. You guys are a joy to be with. Let me know if you get some epiphany on what we talked about today. Maybe God will, you know, broaden your horizons and teach us some things that we need to know. All right. See you tomorrow.